I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. What do you need today? I think it's a question we don't properly ask ourselves all that often. Sure, we, we talk about what we need all the time, but I don't think that we actually stop and take a look and take stock of our lives and really answer honestly what we need. We allow our appetites and our imaginations to really run, run wild. We see something we like on a commercial or uh, in, in a magazine or some, some such, and it captures our attention and we say, oh, I need that. I, you know, that's going to make my life so much easier. I need that in my life. And so we end up with salad spinners and uh, specialty tools that we might use once or twice. And all of a sudden our homes are filled with stuff that we needed. Oh, we absolutely needed it. And now it, it clutters our lives and traps us in our own homes. We become owned by our stuff rather than owning our stuff. Uh, I have done a, a little bit of moving over the last uh, couple of years. Not always the most fun thing to do, but one of the things that moving does is it forces you to take a pretty good long look at the things that you own. Is it worth, you ask yourself, is it worth moving that thing across the country in a truck. The last move that we made uh, was truly across the country. Uh, the move took us three days just driving, just pretty much solid driving, three days. And uh, <clears throat> we had to pay for the truck by the foot, by the linear foot. So the further back in the truck that we took, the more that we paid. And we paid a, a certain fixed amount by that linear foot. And so Towards the end, as we've packed everything in just about as tight as we can, you get towards the grill and um, <clears throat> in the lawnmower and all of these other little things that have odd shapes that don't fit right. And you look at your space and you, I ask myself, is, is it worth this price per linear foot to add that much more on? Am I going, could I just as easily give this stuff away and buy a new thing on the other side for the same price that I am spending right now to stick it in the truck. And the answer on some of that stuff was no, no, this is, this is superfluous. This is easily replaceable. This has no value uh, other than its usefulness. And so, yeah, let's, let's dump it. <clears throat> so often we surround ourselves with things. We see the usefulness in them and we say, yeah, that's great. I want that. That's going to make life easier. And we get it. And then, and then we don't think about it again. We, we, we have these attachments uh, to things that don't matter. Case in point, who among you, raise your hands, still has trophies and medals from elementary school in a box. You haven't opened that box. You know it. I know it. The box is in the garage. It hasn't been opened. And when you open it, 
you know it's cheap. You know that they did not give you a third grader something of great monetary value. But gosh, when it comes time to say, do I toss it or do I keep it? There's this pull like, oh, I, I can't get rid of that. Miss Massey gave me that, my teacher. I have to hold on to that. And so we end up bogged down moving things across the country or storing them out of sight, out of mind, putting them in, in storage facilities that we pay for every month because I can't get rid of that thing because it means something. It means something so important to me that I'm going to close it up in a box and only think about it when I pull it out to decide if I really need it. <laughs> what do you need? So take stock this week of your life. Take stock of the things that are around you and do so in light of the lives of the saints. Do I need this thing? Is this thing really providing me with sanctity? Is it providing me with some value for my family? Is this thing helping me get to heaven? Or is it a treasure that I've stored up on earth that thief can break in and steal and moth can come in and destroy, right? Is this something that has eternal value? Or is this something that's just shiny and pretty and distracting and so I want it right now? In the book of Philippians, Paul is talking to the, the Philippian people and he's telling them they gave they had generosity and they gave this wonderful gift to him. And he said, I have received full payment and more. I am filled having received the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul, who had been the recipient of these great gifts that had sustained him, his needs were met by the Philippian people. And in kind, he promised that God was going to provide for their needs. And so now I ask you, as you uh, go about your week, take stock of the things that you own. Are you able, through your gifts, through your possessions, through what you have at your disposal, are you able to provide for the needs of someone else? Are you able to be a link in that chain, trusting in all fullness that God is going to provide for your true needs, just as he might use you to provide for the needs of others? Today, we're going to talk about that quite a bit more with Haley Stewart. She's got a brand new book, The Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More, in a throwaway culture. That's available from Ave Maria Press, AveMariaPress.com. We got a great conversation coming up right after this. Don't go anywhere unless you go over to our website, OutsideTheWalls.com. There you can find all of our archives as well as extra segments available to those who support the show through Patreon. Visit us on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle is at OutsideTheWalls. This week we're talking about stories of provision. How has God provided for you? Come and share that testimony there on Twitter. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
And have you had enough? <laughs> Sometimes you look at the world around you and you just you just don't know what to say or what to do. It's just overwhelming. It's enough. We're talking today with Haley Stewart. We talked about her a couple of weeks ago on Michaelmas, directed you to her blog, uh, carrotsformichaelmas.com. Today we're talking with her about a brand new book uh, from Ave Maria Press, The Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture. Haley, thanks for joining us again. Thanks so much for having me. We had you on, uh, if folks want to hear it, uh, back December 2nd of last year, we had you on talking about living the liturgical year. Those archives are available over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Uh, you have this story that you alluded to then, but you we're going to talk about in much more depth today of the time that you gave it all up uh, and packed it out to the farm. <laughs> Quite literally. (laughs) So I wanted to talk to you about this. It's the, of course, the central theme of this book is uh, the process of moving out to the farm and what that, what that did for you, what that did for your, your life as a family, for your spiritual life and much more. So why don't you take us through the really briefly before we get into everything else, the process of the decision to get out of Dodge uh, and, and to try this new way of living? Yeah, well, um, my husband and I were homeowners in Florida and he had kind of a regular eight to five grind and we were just feeling very stuck financially and in our family life, not getting very much time together, feeling like we were always racing around everywhere. We had three little kids at the time And we just felt like we were stuck in this cycle of needing and wanting more than we had, but not really wanting to sacrifice our family life in order to get that. So, so for instance, we were, you know, just barely able to pay our bills. So we were trying to work some extra hours. But then when we did that, we realized not only had we missed out on family time, we hadn't actually saved any money because we had to, you know, buy takeout more often because we were working longer. We didn't have time to meal plan plan and prepare Um, all of those expenses that maybe you can be really frugal about if you have time to do so, that time was eaten up. And so we were realizing, okay, this is kind of the worst of both worlds here, but we're just feeling very stuck. How do we get out of this situation? So we wanted to, you know, we were very drawn to the idea of a more agricultural life, maybe buying a farm and having a small farm, but realized, okay, we we don't really have the financial resources to buy a farm and we don't have the knowledge to, to have a successful farm. If we did buy a farm, it would flop because we don't know what we're doing. You know, this is a common desire uh, among folks in recent years. I know that my wife and I have talked about that. Uh, we we've never gotten anywhere near as close to acting on it as you have. But I, I'm, I recall uh, Devin Rose, who is another author and apologist. They tried this and he ended up writing a book called farm flop because they went out and tried it <laughs> and it didn't work. Uh, how did you go about it in such a way that, that it did? Right. Well, we were trying to discern what our next step was and we were really feeling pretty, frustrated because we couldn't figure out how to get from point A to point B. And so at that point, my husband said, I'm going to start praying for 
contentment rather than change. Contentment in where we are right now. See if we can pursue some of the things that we would, some of the goals to moving on a farm, you know, more family time, eating meals together, being more connected to our food sources, all of these things. Let's try to do those in small ways now while we wait to see what opens up um, and just try to be content where we are. So that's what we prayed for for a while. And at that point was when the floodgates kind of opened and different things, different opportunities arose. We're able to save where we hadn't been able to save any money in the past, save up for an upcoming move. And then we were at a friend's wedding in Waco, Texas, and remembered that we had been, we had volunteered as college students at a kind of a training farm, like a sustainable agriculture training farm outside of the city. And they have an internship program. And so on the drive home, all of our kids fell asleep, which is surely the working of the Holy Spirit (laughs) that all three of them were asleep at once. And we were just talking about what we would like to do and what our dreams for the future were. And my husband was saying that he would really like to do work that was good in and of itself, Mm -hmm. not just that got a paycheck and also to eat three meals together as a family, that that was really like the two things that he wanted to pursue. And so we decided to apply for this year long internship at this farm. And we didn't know if we, we actually didn't know if we had gotten the internship by the time we went ahead and put our house on the market, but it was like that window we needed to go ahead and sell in order to be able to move. And so we did that and got rid of most of our stuff because we knew we were going to be moving into a teeny tiny 650 square foot apartment on the farm. And, um, and then we did get the internship and we were able to, to make the move out there for a year. All right. We're talking today with Haley Stewart, brand new book on Ave Maria Press, The Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture. Uh, We have this desire for contentment that's just buried in us. Uh, It's intrinsic to us. And uh, we're always, specifically in this culture, striving for that contentment and not reaching it. And I'm reminded of this G.K. Chesterton quote, that there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more, as we do, and the other is to desire less. And that, that's really stood out to me as uh, something for me to, be, to, to keep my mind on. What am I desiring? And I love that your husband started this process after trying to find a way and trying to figure out how to make things work for your family. He prayed that prayer of surrender and that prayer of asking for God to give him contentment. Because I think that that's the starting place for all of us if we really want to find fulfillment, is not to to chase after fulfillment as it's currently in our minds, but to say to God, okay, God, you're the author of all things. You're the author of every good and perfect gift comes from you. Um, what do you have in mind for me today? And what y'all did as a family in the book that I think is the simplest thing that most of us don't even think about is getting out of our own preconceptions and out of our own space and having the conversation. Uh, There's a, an author uh, who says that the first step is to name our discontent. What's the thing that we're unhappy about? How do we take stock of our lives and just name the problem before we try and figure out the solution as it's in our minds, because the scripture says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor mind conceived what God has for those who love him. 
And so wouldn't it make sense as you did to stop and just ask? Yeah, I think that it's tricky because when the whole culture around you is doing this certain thing, you know, you, you go to college and then you buy a house and then you have a nine to five job and you just, these are the steps you take. This is what everybody's doing to say, okay, I'm not really happy with this, but you almost feel like you can't admit that. (laughs) Like, you know, you've, you've done all the steps, you've done what you're supposed to do. And so it's tricky to actually reach the point where you say, well, this isn't really working for our family. What kind of ungrateful member of society are you <laughs> right. that that society is not satisfying you, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And we, I did, for the most part, we got very positive responses to, to our decision. Um, maybe some confused responses, but mostly very positive. But having having a blog you get all sorts of comments from random people on the internet. And there were just a few comments that were basically like, how dare you? Right. How dare you, you know, have, you're able to pay your bills, maybe barely, but how ungrateful of you to want anything different, want your life to look any different, how very millennial of you, you know? And and I think part of that is because you following after the will of God and you listening for what that would be that's different than society is a convicting thing that that witness externally says to the person who's been suppressing those desires oh maybe I shouldn't be suppressing that and mm-hmm. and here it is displayed out in front of them someone who is doing let, let's just take it to the saints uh it's a St. Francis thing. I'm going to take off all of these worldly possessions that were given to me by, in his case, his father, but for us, by our society. I'm going to strip those off. I'm going to walk out and I'm going to live a life that looks dramatically different than yours for the purpose of pursuing God. And and it's a convicting thing. Yeah. And I think that we are also scared, mm-hmm. scared to... To be irresponsible, which is which is fair. You know, we don't want it. We want to be able to feed our children. We want to be able to pay our rent. And those are worthwhile things, of course. <laughs> and so it, it's striking that balance through discernment and prayer of, you know, how can I fulfill my obligations that God has given me to care for my family, as well as pursue what we think he's calling us to Um, in a way that some people might think are irresponsible. (laughs) Yeah. We had this experience over the last couple of years where as a family, we had this place in our life where we were called to radical trust. And that put us uh, living on the generosity of of other people. Someone provided us a house as we were listening and praying and looking for uh, the next place. And there was that, that real strong temptation of just go and do uh, whatever society offers uh, to, to make life work rather than sitting here and listening and trusting and saying it's all going to work out. That's naive and it's foolish and why would you do such a thing? And yet the result of that radical trust is a greater dependence on God and the recognition that God is the one who is our provider, right? Society is not our provider, Uh, whatever job market is out there is not our provider. God is the one who gives us our daily bread. And that's even in our prayer. Give us this day. We're not looking for tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, And that that radical trust uh, of getting outside of ourselves 
puts us, I think, in a proper relationship to God as well. Mm. Yeah, I think that's very insightful. And also, you bring up the point that someone else was helping your family. Right. And I, I think in our culture, that's really tough because there's this idea of as individuals, we're only worthwhile if we can take care of all of our our own things. Right. And and so you, we shouldn't have to help anyone else. No one should have to help us. But that is not how, how Christians have lived. And biblically, that's not at all how, how the early church operated. Mm-hmm. And so to offer another family the opportunity to live out generosity and charity for us is, is often really hard. And then in the same way, being willing to offer that generosity and charity towards other people. This is part of the Christian life, but we're really scared of that. We want to be the saviors of other people. We want to give the gifts and provide and look how good we are. But the moment that we step aside and say, I'm going to let someone else uh, use the gifts that God has given them to help me, well, then there's a little stigma. We're talking today with Haley Stewart, author of this book, The Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture. There's much more to this conversation. This is a fantastic book. We're not going to get to everything today. Go pick it up today wherever you find fine Catholic books. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking today with Haley Stewart. She blogs over at carrotsformichaelmas.com. Michaelmas is spelled like Michael with an M-A-S at the end. Uh, She also has this brand new book, The Grace of Enough, uh, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture on Ave Maria Press. Haley, thank you for joining us again. Absolutely. So we, we finished up talking about our experience living in a, a rural community. Um, I grew up in in a fairly large urban area, and so this was an experience for me. And we, we were trusting in God's provision, and he provided through a number of different sources. But one of the things was we were given use of a house in this little rural area. There was a number of Catholic families around that had farms, and, um, and there was this little Eucharistic chapel. Uh, on one of the properties there uh, at the permission of the bishop. And so we would go every Thursday. We had our family hour in this little chapel on someone's farm where we would go spend time as a family in front of the Blessed Sacrament every week. And the things that I learned and and that you echo in this book, or, or rather that I'm echoing about your book, the things that I learned about the value of family, the, the, the value of simplicity, because... Ours wasn't quite 650 square feet like your apartment, but there are nine of us. So it was good that it was a little bit bigger than that. Uh, and so we, we learned this level of contentment that I can't even express or explain. Uh, and maybe you'll do a better job about this, this lesson of contentment that you learned living on the farm. Sure. So in order to make our move... We needed to get rid of a lot of stuff. We, we didn't live in like a huge house, but it was like 1,100 square feet. So almost twice as big as what we were moving into. 
So our goal was to get rid of half of our stuff, but I think in the process, we probably got rid of more like two thirds of our stuff. Um, so for the purge of, of all the things, we would kind of go through and, and look at everything we'd accumulated. And even though we'd only been living in our house four and a half or five years and didn't think of ourselves as like stuff people or right. hoarders or anything, we found boxes that we'd moved from our previous move and had never opened. Right. We'd just been sitting there. So I'm clearly gonna, we, we didn't need, need that. Them. <laughs> I'm going to need that box. There's something sentimental in there. Right. <laughs> and so going through all of our things, realizing how much we had not used. And interesting, looking back, there was nothing that we got rid of that we later said, oh gosh, you know what we could really use right now is that lemon juicer that we never used, except for the one time we made lemonade. Was that a wedding present? No, it wasn't. Oh, we, we bought it. We needed to make lemonade and we thought, well, we really need this one use kitchen <laughs> item, you know, and we made lemonade one time and never used it again in five years. And so just all of those things like that, there wasn't anything that we actually, that was actually necessary for our happiness. Mm -hmm. And even our kids stuff, we sent our kids to grandma's house overnight and went through all of their stuff and they didn't even notice anything was gone. Mm -hmm. We probably got rid of half their toys and they didn't notice. Yeah. They were just like, wow, it, our room is so clean. You, you mentioned that you sent them away because the moment that you pull out this tiger that's been buried forever, <laughs> that tiger becomes the most important thing in the history of the world. And I'm looking at that and I laugh a little bit because I know kids, but then I think about it a little bit more and I'm like, well, that's me when I'm going through the purge. I pull this thing out. I'm like, oh, but I need that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that we often convince ourselves of that, that these things are more important than they actually are. And then they end up becoming a distraction, not just because we have to, you know, organize these items and maintain some order, but I think that they take mental space mm -hmm. in our brains. When we got rid of so much stuff, I just felt like I could breathe again. I wasn't, I didn't have any spots in my brain that was thinking about, oh, I should really go through those boxes that we never opened, or I should really organize this stuff. And so I think that often our things can distract us from things that are much more valuable and important. Well, you also mentioned that there's a certain percentage of houses that you can't even fit a car in the garage because there's so much stuff. But beyond that, there's a whole industry built around you storing your stuff somewhere else and forgetting about that because it's out of sight, out of mind uh, and paying them monthly and, and for, you know, just continuing to do that because that stuff must be important because I'm storing it. So not only is it taking up mental space, now it's also taking up resources to hold on to things that really probably don't matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, there's, I'm probably going to get the statistic wrong, but I think I put in the book that as far as children's toys go, America has 3% of the world's kids, but we have something like 40% of the world's toys or, or maybe even more than that. Um, that's just this enormous disparity between what we actually need, how many people we have and how much stuff we have. That's because when birthdays roll around, everyone buys them presents every year and we never get rid of anything because if you try, that's the most important toy in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, 
so you know, I, I've tried to kind of contemplate what would it look like to to move more toward a an experience present and model of gifting than mm-hmm. than a, a tangible I get to hold it in my hands because it costs forty cents and it's going to break in a week, but I'm still going to keep it. Uh, <laughs> mentality of giving gifts. What what have you right. found works for you in that way? Yeah, well, one thing that we've started doing not every kid's birthday, but whenever we can is instead of doing a big birthday party gift kind of thing is take a little camping trip. Hmm. This this is your birthday camping trip. And we go on a drive somewhere where we can go camping for the weekend. And this is an experience that everyone can enjoy. And looking back on the times when we've done that, those memories have been really special for our family and our kids have brought them up many times. Oh, remember when we were there and this happened and we were worried about mountain lions or, you know, whatever (laughs) it is that those have been really wonderful for our family life. And so I think things like that, or even, well, we're going to get a zoo membership this year. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we can keep doing together as a family or, you know, these things that don't take up space, but can actually bring bonding and family time joy that lasts more than as long as it takes for the toy to break. Right. So we have this toy purge. We did a similar thing uh, before we moved out to our, our, um, our rural experience and we didn't send the kids away. We brought them into the room and we said, okay, pick five stuffed animals. These are the ones you get to keep. And we got, we, they picked their five and then there was weeping and gnashing of teeth as they were trying to decide on the last one. So we bumped it up to seven, right? (laughs) And then this was during Lent, so we backed up everything else, and we took it to uh, to the organization that helped resettle refugees in our area. And then we went through all the clothes, and we did the same thing, and we ended up giving away bags and bags to people who needed it more. Uh, and, and that quote that you mentioned at the beginning of the chapter from, I think it was St. Basil, is the same quote that we read, and we're like, ooh, Ooh, we have to we have to do something about this. We have to uh, to realize that holding on to things is not just you know a bad habit, but it's actually not good for our souls. Uh, you have this quote: "It's the bread you're holding back is for the hungry, and the clothes that you keep that you put away are for the naked, and the shoes that are rotting away with disuse are for those who have none. The silver you keep buried in the earth is for the needy." and how convicting that is, but to realize that if we're to live a life of radical hospitality as a Christian, then we have to live out that Acts 2 mentality that we share what we have in common. Because I think that holding on to these things and saying, oh, well, I'm going to need that eventually, is ultimately a, a statement of distrust in the provision of God. I have, mm. I have this now. And I'm going to need it again in three years. And so I'm going to hang on to that. That's going to be, I'm wise in that rather than saying, I'm going to give that to someone else right now who has need and trust that God is going to do the same for me when I have need again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's when it ties into how are we viewing our community Mm -hmm. and our obligation to our community and trusting that through our community, God is going to provide for us when we need it. I think that that 
is is very insightful. And that quote, I mean, it's so convicting. I mean, I mean, it's not like, oh, well, we moved, we got rid of a lot of stuff. We moved to this farm and now we're completely detached from all our possessions. (laughs) You know, I only have one pair of shoes and, you know, that's not where we are. And so whenever I read St. Basil, I'm like, man, this is, this is really going to require more of me. You know, the Christian life is going to continue to require much more of me. It's interesting because that quote is convicting equally if you have very little and if you have a lot, because Mm -hmm. it's only talking about if you have one more thing than you need and who among us here in our, our privileged country and our, our, our economy, the way that it is, this consumer mentality, who among us doesn't have at least one thing more than we need. Exactly. Yes. None of us can say that. And so I think it is rather than one week of purging our possessions, it's really a matter of daily conversion of detachment. Now, we don't have a whole lot of time here left, but in the time left, you you talk a lot in this book about the transcendence of beauty and our need for it, first of all, but then also the what beauty does for us internally in our spirits. Why don't you just explore that thought a little bit? Sure. Well, I think that our we're still incredibly drawn to beauty. As you know, we think about there's beauty, truth, and goodness. Mm-hmm. And culturally, we've kind of thrown out truth and goodness, but we're still very interested in beauty. Um, and our our hearts are wired for it. But I think part of our problem of not having enough beauty in our daily experience is that we're so busy that we can't stop to attend to either the beauty in God's creation or the beauty of music or art or created things. And so if we can slow down enough to attend to beauty, that beauty will point us to God, who is the source of all beauty and give us that longing of, um, you, when you look at something really, really beautiful or hear something beautiful, it's in one way satisfying, but in another way, unsatisfying. It's like gives you a longing for God, this thing that is going to be even more beautiful. And so I think that by slowing down and noticing God's creation that's beautiful, filling our space with things that are truly beautiful, that that can point us to a more worshipful attitude. You know, the, the fathers often talk about holy leisure, that allowing yourself to be slow enough and, and not always pressing on to the next thing, that you have time to hear the voice of God and that you have time to see the, the gifts that God's given around us uh, rather than just driving yourself uh, in, in such a way that you, you can't keep up. Remember that, that God is a shepherd, not a cowboy right? He leads his sheep. He doesn't drive us. So take the time, maybe this week, go to adoration, slow down just a little bit, look around for the beauty that's right in front of you that you miss every day. We've been talking today with Haley Stewart. Her brand new book, The Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture is available right now on Ave Maria Press, AveMariaPress.com. Find her over on her blog, carrotsformicklemas.com, and find us on social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today, we had a fantastic conversation with Haley Stewart, author of the brand new book, The Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture, available right now on Ave Maria Press, AveMariaPress.com, or wherever fine Catholic books are sold. If you missed any part of the show or you want to listen to it again, or if you want to share it with someone who could really benefit from this, well, have no fear. All of our archives are available over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And we got a little bit carried away today. We have about 17 minutes of extra content, an extra segment available to all those who support the show through Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, that's a good cup of coffee once a month. You get access to all the extra segments we record, including this one. And uh, while you get the pleasure of listening to more insight from our guests, you also get the pleasure of knowing that you are helping ensure that this show stays on the air. So while you're over at Outside the Walls looking through the archives, go ahead and click that Patreon link that says support the show. Read through all the various levels and the various opportunities and then pray and discern as to whether or not God might be calling you to enjoy those extra segments and to support the show. Well, let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and from church history. And we're staying with this theme today of of God providing for our needs and really paying attention to what things are needful. What do we really need? We're going to start off in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. And Jesus said to his disciples, Suppose one of you has a friend to whom he goes at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived at my house from a journey, and I have nothing to offer him. And he says in reply from within, Don't bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children and I are already in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, if he does not get up to give him the loaves because of their friendship, he will get up to give him whatever he needs because of his persistence. And I tell you, ask and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you would hand his son a snake when he asks for a fish, or hand him a scorpion when he asks for an egg? If you, then, who are wicked, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This reading comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, and it arrives right after Jesus has introduced the Lord's Prayer, the version that's in that Gospel. And so there's a couple of things to note here. First is the the words ask, seek, and knock are all in the tense in the the Greek that uh, expresses an active, present, ongoing action. So it could easily be read, ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking, uh, and and it will be, the door will be opened, right? Seek and keep seeking. And, and we get a little sense of that from right before that in the story where he says, if he doesn't give it because he's his friend, he will give it because of his persistence. So it's that persistence in the act of, of knocking and seeking and asking And all of that, of course, comes with determination, but it also comes with discernment. Is this the thing that I need? Is this the thing that I am really willing to be persistent 
about. Uh, And then lastly in there, uh, he's just now told them to say, Father who are in heaven, right? Give us this day our daily bread, right? All of those things. And then he goes on and says, what father among you would give your son a snake if he asked for a fish? And so we can have a certain amount of confidence that if we are asking for those things that we really need, like our daily bread, right? Or to be forgiven, that we can trust that God is going to give us the things that we need. He's not going to pull a a trick on us and say, oh, ha, ha, ha. No, he's a good father who gives us all that we need. Our reading from Church History today comes from a work by St. Teresa of Avila. If Christ Jesus dwells in a man as his friend and noble leader, that man can endure all things, for Christ helps and strengthens us and never abandons us. He is a true friend. And I clearly see that if we expect to please him and receive an abundance of his graces, God desires that these graces must come to us from the hands of Christ through his most sacred humanity in which God takes delight. Many, many times I have perceived this through experience. The Lord has told it to me. I have definitively seen that we must enter by this gate if we wish His Sovereign Majesty to reveal to us great and hidden mysteries. A person should desire no other path. Even if he is at the summit of contemplation, on this road he walks safely. All blessings come to us through our Lord. He will teach us, for in beholding His life, we find that he is the best example. What more do we desire from such a good friend at our side? Unlike our friends in the world, he will never abandon us when we are troubled or distressed. Blessed is the one who truly loves him and always keeps him near. Let us consider the glorious St. Paul. It seems that no other name fell from his lips than that of Jesus because the name of Jesus was fixed and embedded in his heart. Once I had come to understand this truth, I carefully considered the lives of some of the saints, the great contemplatives, and found that they took no other path. Francis, Anthony of Padua, Bernard, Catherine of Siena, a person must walk along this path in freedom, placing himself in God's hands. If God should desire to raise us to the position of one who is an intimate and shares his secrets, we ought to accept this gladly. Whenever we think of Christ, we should recall the love that led him to bestow on us so many graces and favors, and also the great love God showed us in giving us in Christ a pledge of his love. For love calls for love in return. Let us strive to keep this always before our eyes and rouse ourselves to love him. For if at some time the Lord should grant us the grace of impressing his love on our hearts, all will become easy for us and we shall accomplish great things quickly and without effort. That reading comes from a work by St. Teresa of Avila. And I think that this is very important for us as we contemplate what it is we need. As we contemplate the things we ask for in the Lord's Prayer to give us this day our daily bread to, uh, to help us really discern what things are needful. I recall during that period I referenced earlier where we were 
uh, living in radical trust and, and waiting for the provision of God. I recall contemplating the lives of several saints. These are the saints who, uh, who God gave special graces to. These are the saints who, uh, by virtue of their extraordinary lives, have been elevated by the church as examples for all of us. And here we have these saints who failed in business, who failed in health, who, uh, who died either martyrs' deaths or, or died from really laying everything out on the line, sacrificing themselves to where their health was gone, and they passed away. And so I'm looking at this and going, these are the people that we look at and say, God loved these people. And so if I can say that God loves me, can I be sure that I'm going to have material goods? Well, no, I can't. I can't look at the life of St. Francis and say that God is out there waiting to give me all the desires of, uh, of my mind, right? Uh, because I can think of a lot of things that I would like. I could think of, uh, of uh, wealth that would be great to have and would make, you know, make it really easy to do ministry if I had all this wealth. It would make it really easy to, uh, to spread the gospel if I had all of, all of these positive and good things. And yet, God, like through this conversation with St. Teresa, God is calling us to an intimacy with him. But that intimacy may not look like we expect. That intimacy may be the path of the cross. It may be the path of, of, of weakness, because in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. And so I encourage you, in light of these readings today, both uh, from, from Scripture and from church history, in light of the book that we had the conversation about, uh, ask yourself the question in serious prayer and discernment, God, show me what it is that I need. Show me what it is not only that I need, but show me what it is that is taking my energies and my attentions away from the things that you want me to pay attention to. Show me the things that I could do without, and more so, show me the things that I should do without. It's a scary conversation, and if you're not quite ready for it, I, I get it. It's a conversation that scares me to death, and yet that death on the cross is what we're called to. Take up your cross and follow me. And so we ask that question of God, God, show me what it is that I need. Because what I really need is God's presence and God's graces, knowing full well that He will supply all of my needs. He will provide for all of my needs according to his riches and glory. It may look foolish. It may look countercultural. It, it may scare us to no end. And yet there is no safer place to be than relying on the providence and the kindness of our God. That's all the time we have for today. I, again, want to encourage you, go pick up this book by Haley Stewart, The Grace of Enough, available on AveMariaPress.com. Today's show is brought to you by Paige and Kent Keithley and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, support the show, and get all kinds of goodies on the side. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.